0: Brother Harold asks that we mark song 32, and we'll use that as a song of encouragement a bit later in the service. Song number 32, as was mentioned already, how blessed and how much a privilege it is we've each been given today to assemble, to gather, and to do so with the intent of heart to worship and to direct our attention in the greatest adoration to our Heavenly Father. Certainly, as Brother Ted mentioned earlier, a number of holiday activities, and perhaps we should certainly mark our calendars, make make sure we're aware of those things as we look forward to the next couple of Sundays. All the while today, for the next few moments, might I invite us to give our attention to a lesson entitled, Isn't It Strange? You might have noted as I listed that in the bulletin as the title, and also here on the wall to my left... The lesson text taken from Matthew 6, verse 33 will be a prompting one as we consider a number of things that may challenge us to think, isn't it strange? Some introductory thoughts perhaps are in order as we give thought to a Bible question that at least rings similar to the wording of that question. Perhaps you and I today are well aware of instances in which we hear someone say to us or we say to someone else, isn't it strange? as we discuss a particular situation or a particular thing that seems odd to us. By the same token, you might notice that in the New Testament, some 14 times, there is a rather powerful question that begins, Know ye not? And in almost all instances, it is a question in which Paul affirmed that they already knew the answer. Consider, for instance, some of these examples. We might well begin in Romans 6 verse 3. Know ye not, as he there makes mention of the matter of baptism, know ye not that all we who are baptized into Jesus Christ are baptized into His death. That's a simple statement of truth and fact as it relates to baptism. And Paul asserts to the Romans, do you not know this? By the same token, in Romans 6 verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. In James chapter four, verse four, know ye not, as he spoke to those whom he called adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. In all those instances the question is so very telling. Brethren, you ought to know this, the inspired writer said, and he states the obvious in terms of a question. It might well be today that we can notice that in many instances, those questions were meant to shake into realization those that were being addressed. You have become Christians, Paul would write. You know these things, then live accordingly. Might I submit that sometimes today that question, isn't it strange, might shake us into realization as well when we're asked to ponder something that otherwise we try to excuse For the next few moments this morning, why don't we give thought to several things that might well include the phrase, Isn't it strange? And as we give thought to them one by one, we'll use the Word of God to guide us as we consider in each instance the matters related to them. Perhaps the collection would be first on our listing of considerations. We at Pippin have a very commendable contribution in many ways We've been blessed mightily by God, and many have a very giving heart. But nonetheless, it still is always a pertinent matter, and perhaps as the year closes and a new one is shortly in our future, for each of us to think about a question perhaps like this one. Think about a $20 bill. In a collection plate, a $20 bill may look like an awful lot, but think about how little it is in a daily walk of life. Two people can barely go to the movies on $20. Two people likely can't eat at many of the restaurants in Cookville on $20. $20 won't buy you many groceries at all. And yet when the collection plate is plastic, it may look like so much. Isn't it strange that a $20 bill can look like so much in a collection plate and really it be so little in terms of all other appreciations of our usage? Our children come home from school and the teachers seemingly always are needing money for something and often a $20 bill seemingly won't even satisfy the need for that. It's an issue in perception, isn't it? Perhaps this would be time for us to recollect what does the New Testament teach concerning our collection and the contribution that's related to it. In 1 Corinthians 16, beginning in verse 1, the inspired apostle directing his comments to the church in Corinth He to them simply said, Lay by each in store on the first day of the week, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. If I find plenty of expenditure for the movies and all the other things of life, but I seemingly find it hard to put anything in the collection plate at all, what does that say about my priorities? And what does that say about where my treasure actually is? Wasn't it the Lord who said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. If my treasure is at the movie theater, I'm probably not going to find much of an interest in collect or for the contribution and contributing to it properly. But if our heart is directed toward the things of truth, then that is where our priority shall be and that is where we'll make sure the funding is available and that things are in order for that contribution. Do you notice then that question, isn't it strange? I'm sure we've all experienced this business about money seemingly going nowhere in the world, but yet we find it hard, perhaps to contribute in the way that our conscience tells us we should. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 5, the text there reminds us that first, those in Macedonia gave themselves to the Lord and then the contribution took care of itself. Isn't it always going to be that way? If you and I are dedicated first and foremost to the Lord, the contribution will take care of itself. If there's not enough money for the other things in the world, like movies and athletic events, well, so be it. But at least the things of priority will have been addressed. The Lord challenges us on many occasions like that, doesn't He? The collection is just one of them. You might notice in James 1.17 that our money is truly a gift from God in the sense that it allows us and affords us the privilege of doing the things necessary for life, but to contribute to His cause. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. As one gives thought to those monetary amounts that we have, and the extensiveness in many ways of it, Isn't it a grand blessing? Maybe you and I can ponder then the matter, Isn't it strange when the collection plate is passed and we don't contribute to it like we do to so many other things during the course of the week? Perhaps another question, though, might be in order that also includes this wording of, Isn't it strange? This one takes us to another matter related to our assemblies together. Amazing, isn't it? how that sometimes an hour of time may seem to some like an eternity if it's spent in a church building. But we don't think a thing about spending an hour doing something else we like, be it watching a movie, attending a ball game, perhaps attending with friends to the mall or going shopping. We think nothing about an hour or two, maybe even six hours. But we can't seemingly give up sometimes an hour for a Bible study Two hours for a combined worship service period as well. Interesting, isn't it? And isn't it strange how that perception of time is so different? Maybe we should give some thought to some of these verses that follow. Beginning in Hebrews 10 verse 23, the inspired writer there pointed out so vividly and oh so compellingly in language like this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. That's the reading through verse 26 of that same chapter. Isn't it interesting that in that placement, it is the matter of attendance that is foremost and at the front of the discussion, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Our times of assembly truly have many specific features and many specific attributes that are noteworthy. First of all, it is a betterment to me to be here. I have the opportunity to worship and to sing and to pray. But maybe each of us should also keep in mind that our worship also is beneficial to others. When others see you and me here, they are encouraged and they are exhorted and they are uplifted and edified. And if I forsake the assembly, it goes without saying that if they are here and I am not, that I am not edifying them. In fact, I am detrimentally, negatively impacting them. I am failing to do the very thing that 1 Thessalonians 5.11 commands of me. I'm commanded to exhort and edify the brethren, and if I'm not here, I'm not doing that. In Hebrews Hebrews 10.26, this willful forsaking of the assembly is called a sin. Thus, we should think very carefully about willfully dissociating with the brethren and failing to be present at the assemblies. Isn't it strange in light of that? that there will be some haunting questions no doubt asked at the judgment. When the great God of heaven, by virtue of the character of His Son sitting on the throne, says, I gave everything for you, and you couldn't come one hour a week to a Bible study. You couldn't come two hours a week to the Bible study in Wednesday evening periods. That was too much to ask. I have a sneaking suspicion there will be no good answer when that kind of question is asked at the day of judgment. It is an amazing truth that in Luke seventeen seven we each are reminded that even when we have done all that has been commanded of us, it still is the thing to say we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which was our duty to do. To be present at the assemblies is not going above and beyond the call of duty. That's what we should be doing. And if we aren't here, we're doing less than that which is our duty. The assemblies are thus important. They are a time of encouragement. They're a time of spiritual recharging of the batteries. They're a time in which we have the luxury, and yea, a privilege at that, of worshiping, of engaging in fellowship with those of like-minded faith, Second like Peter one one, and to do so in a way that meets the desire of John 4.24, to worship in spirit and in truth. And thus, perhaps we too could ask the question, isn't it strange when we appreciate that there are not those who worship and are happy and excited about meeting with the brethren and worshiping as the Scriptures indicate. In addition, though, to the collection, and in addition to the matter we've seen in terms of the attendance, perhaps another question that involves, isn't it strange? This time, it's the response that each of us might have. The cause of Christianity brings many things before your mind and mine, And perhaps we can set the consideration for this one like this. After a day at work, there are some who say, I'm too tired to meet with the assemblies at the evening services. I've got to get up and go to work on Monday. I I can't meet at the 5.30 time slot on Sunday. It's just too late. Interesting, isn't it, Hal, that some then might well consider a question like this. Isn't it strange that we can be too tired for the worship services of the church, but we sure aren't too tired in the summertime to mow grass late in the afternoon, and we aren't too tired in the wintertime to sit on the edge of our seat in front of a television and eagerly cheer on our team, and we aren't too tired to encourage our children and support them and their activities that occur in the evening, but yet we're too tired for Bible studies, and we're too tired for worship services, and we're too tired to engage in the programs of the church. It doesn't sound as if the issue is really too tired. It sounds as if the issue is a heart problem. Our heart isn't directed toward the usage and matters and those things that require our response to God. I would invite you to look with me at Ezekiel thirty-three thirty-one 31 for just a moment. As God challenged the prophet Ezekiel in that day of the Old Testament, he very powerfully said, This people will hear you. They will come and they will listen, but it is not in their heart to obey. Their heart is somewhere else. They have an intent to do other things. And God challenged Ezekiel, they will have an ear to listen, but they will not follow. Otherwise, in that book, God characterized that people as having a hard heart. Isn't it interesting then today that we can ask that question, isn't it strange that we can be tired when it comes to a matter of the church, but we're not seemingly very tired when it comes to other things? The matter of statement before that challenges us that Jesus, our Savior, wasn't too tired to go to the cross for us. Our Lord in agony... In the Garden of Gethsemane on the night prior to His crucifixion didn't get a wink, of, didn't get any sleep at all, not, not a drop. In fact, we we're told in Luke twenty third chapter that the sweat dropped as it were drops of blood from His brow. He was in agony for you and me. But He wasn't too tired to go to the cross for us. He wasn't too tired to endure all the insults and blasphemies they hurled at Him. He wasn't too tired, in fact, to pay for the price for my sins and yours. And oh, how thankful we should be that he wasn't too tired. Paul wasn't too tired to be the seemingly tireless servant to the Master beginning in the ninth chapter of Acts. Missionary journeys, characteristics of imprisonment, beatings and shipwrecks and perils all are listed in 2 Corinthians 11 beginning in verse 23. Paul wasn't too tired either to do the things that the Lord requested and demanded of him. Perhaps you and I then should note that even in matters of response, it comes back to an issue of where is your treasure and where is mine? If our treasure isn't here, then likely we'll always make up an excuse. I'm too tired. It's too dark. It's too cold. We just can't ever find a good reason to come. But if our heart is here, we'll be here no matter what, if at all we can be. And isn't it amazing that that perhaps leads us to the next one? Also, isn't it strange how we can find all kinds of good things to say about those who perhaps are associates, our teachers, our neighbors, our friends, our classmates, our teammates, but sometimes the language is lacking in our positive description of the church. It's no wonder sometimes that those who associate with us perhaps aren't as interested always in the things of the church because of what they hear about us. After all, what are some things that might be common? It's too hot in the building. Singing was awful and slow. The preacher's dull and boring and the sermon's too long. The song service isn't uplifting enough. And on and on we go. There perhaps is always, at least on my part, room for much improvement. And I understand that. But isn't it also true in terms of our coming together that if our heart is in it, then we will look forward to and long for those occasions and we will find the positive things to say. To that song leader, you did a good job. You did the best you could and we need to learn that song better to help you. To that preacher, I appreciate your efforts. And I'd never thought of that verse perhaps in quite that way before. I appreciate the way in which you delivered it and I look forward to hearing another one. Perhaps to the others who have control such as our elders, they do the best they can with their heat system. What's cold to one is going to be too hot for another. They try. Perhaps we should understand that thought and perhaps be of assistance to them in the ways that we can. The positive words that we share can go a long way toward helping others see that we do love the brethren. And wasn't it Jesus who said in John 13:34, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. When you and I exhibit the characteristic of that love, doesn't it remind us of the exhortation of 1 Thessalonians 5.11? We are there commanded, Wherefore, comfort one another with, with these words, and edify the brethren, even as ye also do. We have the precious opportunity and privilege of encouraging each other. Isn't it such a safe statement to make that the world is not going to encourage us in our Christianity? The workplace isn't going to do it. The school system's not going to do it. Our neighbors and friends in all likelihood are not going to do it. The encouragement we get will be from some exposure to this book. Now, the television certainly offers little helpful exposure to it, and what exposure it does add is usually insulting, blasphemous, and detrimental. Typically, the newspaper has little encouraging to say about the Bible for the same reason. Magazines have almost nothing to say about it unless they happen to be Christian-oriented magazines. It's a place like this one where we have already sung songs today lifting high thoughts of this book. And we've prayed about considerations concerning, and we've encouraged one another in regard to its obedience. And we have an opportunity to give thought to a study of it. Thus, the positive words ought to flow from consideration concerning the Holy Book Divine. It might be fair to notice that Paul said in Galatians 6.14 that he was going to glory in the cross of Christ. That's where he found the highest echelon of appreciation, laudness, and beauty in the cross of Christ. May that be your banner and mine as well, to glory always in the cross of Christ and those things that relate to it. In fairness, it might be well to notice that in the fifth place, Isn't it strange that you and I can be so sacrificial when it comes to so many things in life? Our children ask of us to assist them with a school project. We're more than honored to assist. Others come our way, sometimes our boss, and he doesn't always just ask, he basically orders. And we have to work overtime, and often we are willing to do so. But yet sometimes when it comes to things of God, we are unwilling to sacrifice at all. Isn't it strange that we can be so sacrificial for the things of the world, but we can't sacrifice at all for God's cause? He asked too much. That's not reasonable. That's not fair. And so we proceed on our merry way and ignore His request and we ignore His demand. Perhaps that calls us to think for a moment about some of the songs that we sometimes sing. I'm reminded of that song I listed for your consideration I gave my life for thee. I believe that's song 86 in our book. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? Do you and I sacrifice anything for his cause, or do we try to force him to bend and mold to fit what we want? Our desire should be to humbly follow His will, shouldn't shouldn't we? It is we who need to submit to Him, not Him submitting to us. That same verse, that same song goes on in verse 3 to make statements about the cross. I suffered much for thee more than thy soul can tell. To rescue thee from hell is the wording of the song. Where would you and I be without the sacrifice of the Savior at Calvary? And yet He sacrificed all of that. Not a drop of His blood because of His own self needed to be shed. But I'm the one that needed it. For I'm the unfit, sinful person full of iniquity who was destined for a devil's hell and lost without Him. And so I'm the one that needed that blood shed and yet He sacrificed it for me. And He sacrificed it for you. The characteristic of that sacrifice challenges us. What am I sacrificing for Him? We're told in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, to arm ourselves with a panoply of God that we might be able to stand. Are you standing for the cross? Are you standing for the Master? Or do we sheepishly hide under a rock and try to cover things up so that others don't have to know that we're a member of the church of Christ? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and with fear, First Peter 3.15. As we think then about the new year and what's coming, perhaps we each can reflect upon where do we stand with respect to our Christianity? Where do we stand with respect to this question, isn't it strange? Do we need to make changes concerning our attendance? Do we need to make changes concerning our contribution, our response, the nature of what we've seen? Perhaps all of that can be summarized in the closing point to the lesson this morning. Isn't it strange that we can obey in so many ways the things of life? We can obey policemen, governmental leaders, and teachers, but sometimes we simply aren't interested in obeying what God says in His book. We rationalize, we justify, we make excuses, but it all boils down to we just don't want to do what the Lord has said that we must do. If that be the description of our life, isn't it strange that we can sacrifice and we can obey these people who don't do anything for us and really don't care anything about us, but yet the one who loved us and gave his life for us, we're not willing to obey him? Isn't that strange? I'd submit that's more than strange, that's foolish. Jesus, you see, loved us enough that it's described in the words of John 3, 16 like this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The choice in terms of all of this is set before you and me this morning. Isn't it strange How there are times we can let the things that are most needful pass by in our life and focus on all these other matters. I hope that each of us in this lesson have been reminded that these things that sometimes might be described as strange really are more sad than they are strange. May we be reinvigorated in terms of the services and appreciate their character, always being present if at all we can. May we ever appreciate the contribution, what's involved in it. May we never fail to understand the nature of our response to God and the sacrificial living that goes with it and our obedience to the Son of God. Today it might well be there's one or more in the audience who at this moment realizes that you haven't lived in the way you should. Maybe though once a Christian and a faithful one you are not now. You've allowed other things like these problems to infiltrate your life and you aren't living that noble example of godliness and piety If we could help you today by praying to God for your forgiveness, we'd be happy to do it. It might be that you have never become a Christian. That too can be taken care of this very day. What better day could there be than this one, the 18th day of December 2011, for you to become a child of God? We're told in Acts 2.47 you'll be added to the church. Christ does that and how honored we'd be to assist you in the nature of your confession baptism. If we could help you now, will you not let that be known? While well, together we stand and while we sing song number 32.